text for this evening's message can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 26. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Let's pray. Father in heaven, across these three campuses and across these 18 hours, we are praying together because we're needy people. Your word is precious beyond words, more precious than silver, more precious than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. And so I pray for my faithfulness to this gift of your word, and I pray for those who hear that their hearts would be open to it, deeply open to it, unlike the woman at the well, whose heart was so rock-closed. 
This is not a message specifically for fathers. It's just one of those every messages that is always for fathers. Five failed marriages. God, I pray that you would help us discern ourselves in this woman. Fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, single, married, old, and young. Grant us to be given light on our hearts and water. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There is something true about the Bible that is also true about the Gospel of John. The Bible aims to help you know God and help you know yourself. And the Gospel of John and this story in particular about the woman at the well aims to help you know Christ and to help you know yourself, especially as you are revealed in this woman's condition. This is not mainly a text about how we imitate Jesus. This is mainly a text about how we're saved by Jesus, having committed adultery over and over again in one form or another. It's encouraging to me that when I am revealed, when I am laid bare by a text in the Bible, and this one in particular, I am being laid bare, my heart is being exposed to myself and to God in order that I might know Him better. So even self-knowledge is about God-knowledge. Even the exposure of ourselves is about the exposure of Christ to ourselves because if we don't know the depths of our own hardness, we won't know how we're excluding Him from there which she was, big time. But if we could be exposed, if we could be laid bare, if if the sword could cut to the division of, of bone and marrow, there would be places for water, living water, which she couldn't drink. She didn't have a clue she was so locked up. So if you feel yourself laid bare tonight, and I hope you do, No, this is good news. This is good surgery. There are places where the water wants to go. Deep, deep, deep satisfactions this water wants to bring that sin has so hardened over, so locked up, that you can't know Him the way He wants to be known. You can't enjoy Him and drink from Him the way He wants to be enjoyed. This text looks like it's on a wild goose chase to me at first glance. She's just jerking Jesus all around. It seems on the surface of it, but she's not a goose in his eyes, and he's not confused about what he's doing. There, there is a kind of progression 
Verses 1 to 15, he's the living water. Verses 16 to 19, he's a prophet. Verses 20 and 24, he's a savior, enabling true spiritual worship. And in 25 and 26, he's the Messiah. This is going somewhere. And it is about Jesus, and it's about this woman, and it's about you and your connection with him, and whether you can drink in prophet, savior, Messiah, at the depths of your locked-up being. That's what it's about. Now, all I'm going to deal with in this message is verses 16 to 19, even though more was read, because that's where I had to stop, because it's just so rich and so devastating and so glorious that we'll just put off verses 20 to 26 until next time, if God will be pleased to bring us back together. So last time we looked at verses 1 to 15, and we saw in verse 10 that he has living water to give. And she's like Nicodemus, doesn't have a clue about the spiritual nature. Her spirit is dead. He's offering her drink for her spirit. She doesn't even know she has a spirit. She is so dead and so locked up and so blind and and barren on the inner person that when he talks about living water for her spirit, she says, boy, if I could get somebody to carry this bucket, that would be great. Or, you know, if I didn't have to come out here, she's just on another level because she's dead. So dead. Sir, verse 15 Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty and don't have to come to draw water here. So she's just there and not where Jesus is. Now, a very surprising twist at verse 16. Seemingly, out of the blue, Jesus says, Go call your husband and come here. Where did that come from? The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus, the prophet, says, you're right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. You have said truth. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. So, we move from Jesus in verses 1 to 15 as the living water. She she doesn't get it at all, so he leaves that. He never returns there, never comes back to the water. He has made his impact. He's blasted all the taboos. He's done part of the work he came to do in Samaria. And now, he acts as the prophet. He knows her public past. And he knows her secret present. Verse 18, you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. So here's the question that I'm going to spend our whole time answering and unpacking the implications of the answers. Why did Jesus go there? Why did he leave behind Living water. I'm living water here. We've got to work on this until you get it. And instead, he, he makes this abrupt 
change out of the blue, uh, go call your husband. Why? Why did he go there? That's verse 16. Go call your husband. So he's going to come at her now from a totally different angle. He's been doing the, I'm living water. If you knew the one who was talking to you, you'd ask me for water. I'd satisfy your souls. It would become a well in you, living up to everlasting satisfaction. Blank. Nothing. Why don't you go get your husband? And he knows exactly what's going on with the husband. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm asking, are there clues in the verses here, 16 to 19, that tell me why he did this? What he's up to? What is he trying to do with her, to her, for her? What's going on with this question? So I've got four of these. Clue number one. Very obscure, remote, maybe not even true. But I'm going to try it on you anyway, because it jumped out at me. It won't jump out at you, probably, because of English isn't going to help as much here. The word here, H-E-R-E, at the end, near the end of verse 15, and at the end of verse 16, verse 15, give me this water, she says, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Doesn't jump out, just there. Verse 16, go call your husband and come here. Now, as I'm reading this in the Greek, this jumps out. Because this word is not typical. It's, it's the only two places in the gospel where it occurs. Here. I mean, that's a simple word in English. It occurs about a dozen times. But these two words, only here. This word, only here, twice. So, like, jumped out at me. It's like, was, is it intended to jump out at me? It did. <laughs> Did you mean it to do that? Maybe if I knew Greek better, he wouldn't. <laughs> so what might that signify? That it jumped out at me that way. Could Jesus be hearing her say, if you could give me something that would keep me from having to come here every day noon. I'd, I'd, I'd like that a lot. Why wouldn't you want to come here? I mean, is it all about the heavy water bucket, like I said? Is it all about the work? Or is it something about everybody comes here, all the women come here? And maybe she's coming at broad noon when you don't carry heavy loads because the rest of them come at sunset so you can avoid them. Because they talk. Five failed marriages. That's a high number. Living with a man. And they know it. And they want to come here. I don't even like to show up. I would like to just die. That's what I would like. Or maybe he makes her go get the water. Maybe she only is attracted to men who beat her up. 
maybe, maybe. It's very painful to come there, perhaps. You feel conspicuous, ma'am, perhaps, vulnerable, perhaps. Maybe you should bring your husband with you to protect you and and be uh, honorable with you and, and like, a, like an elder in the gate. Go get your husband and he can stand for you and, and be upright with you and, and protect you from slander. Or isn't it like that at home? Clue number one, maybe, this word, I don't want to come here. Go get your husband and bring him here. He's going to open, oh, he's going to open up. What is it about your life that makes you not want to come here? Number two, they get clearer. Maybe he took this turn to her husband from the living water um, because he knew already that she didn't have a husband. She's living with her boyfriend, number six. Verse 18 in the middle of verse, the one you now have is not your husband. So he knew that. He knew it when he said, go get your husband. That's very important. He knew when he asked her to get her husband, she didn't have one. He is intentionally exposing her to himself and to her. Not to everybody. Exposing her to herself. Got to deal with this. And, and he knows it. He's exposing her sin. So that's, that's clearly what's going on here. Since he knew when he said, go get your husband, that she didn't have one, this was going to expose a raw nerve. So he's moving inside. He is forcing her to deal with the inside, the secret places where the living water couldn't go yet. He had offered it. Living water can only be drunk by the heart. You can't drink living water with your mouth. She's an, only a mouth woman. She only deals with externals. It's hard and painful and wounded and dead inside. And he's offering her water for this. And she can't even imagine that there is a water for this. And so he's going in. He will not stay on the outside. It's what he do with you. He will not have externalism. He will push through your fakery, your posing, your hypocrisy. He will push in until he touches every single raw secret nerve of your life. He knows you. He's going to her inner life. That's what he's doing here. Do you recall, I wonder, chapter 3, verse 20, where he said this, Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest its deeds should be exposed. Does that illumine, does that illumine this text or what? Everyone who practices wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. She cannot open herself to the living water 
because her inner life is locked up with sin and deceit and pain and dirt and shame from five failed marriages. Jesus knows her blindness and her hardness to her inner spiritual life. Living water can't go in. And it's all been compounded by cereal sacks. Years and years of sexual and relational sin. So he's intentionally exposing her inner life. And God means to have this woman as a worshiper. You know anybody been through five marriages? Do you despair of them? Don't. He didn't. Amazing. See, in her present condition, she doesn't have a living spirit. She's dead, she's hard, she's blind. And he understands that totally. He understood it with Nicodemus. He understands it with us. It's who we are apart from the power of grace. He will not stay on the outside. He's going to press in. Put in a parenthesis here. This, brothers and sisters, is what small groups are for. I preach. God is merciful often to take the word preached and, and pierce and open and save and heal. But the church is designed to do another thing as well as preach. Namely, gather in little assemblies and ask the prophetic question. Go get your husband. I can't, I can't come down out of this pulpit and go to every single person and say, go get your husband. And that's the next step often needed after I commend living water and you're locked up and nothing's happening and you leave and go nowhere. Because small groups are designed to take the word and by supernatural wisdom and gifts and Holy Spirit power penetrate where I didn't. That's the way the church is supposed to work. So I'm pleading with you. Don't play games by making this a preaching point. We're not here to entertain people who jump from church to church. We want to gather saints and do church the way Jesus designed for us to know each other, love each other, and take the Word of God preached and push it into the recesses of each other's hearts and hold on to people and never let them go. Five marriages or what? That's the end of that parenthesis. Please, please, live in community as we try to help you. In small groups. Clue number three. So the, the second clue was that he said, go get your husband when he knew already she didn't have one and therefore we know he's exposing her. That's clue number two. Now here's number three. Jesus took um, the turn he did from living water to go get your husband and there's no follow through on this. 
He exposes her sin in verse 17 and 18. You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. And then in verse 19, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject to worship, and they never come back to the husband. Ever. They never come back to adultery. It's over. It's gone. That's significant to me. What it says to me is that he didn't bring this up for closure. I'm going to get this straight. I'm going to get the facts right. I'm going to get all the details out. I'm going to get some real good conviction of sin here and condemnation. And it, it was brought up. It was exposed. The nerve was touched. She switches and he goes with her. That's where we're going to go next week to see. What did he do? How did, why did he do that? Why did he let it go? Don't let it go. It's important. And he lets it go. He brought it up, I think, to expose her soul thirst that she doesn't know she has. He has offered her living water. She has to drink it by faith with a heart that's tender and, and alive and touchable and feeling and able to weep and receive. It's dead. She's so locked up dead. And he's, he wants her to have this water. And so he's showing her that her soul is thirsty how, how do I, why do I think that? No woman, no woman goes through five sexual relationships with six men, five of whom are her husband and, and then another one, without either starting desperately thirsty or ending desperately thirsty. No woman. Women are not made to do serial sex. Men feel like they are. They're not either. Women don't even feel it. That's not why I am a sexual being. To go after one lover, after another lover, after another lover, after another lover. This is a sign either that she begins with a cavernous need that she thinks only men can meet, or these men are not finding in her what they want, and they're dropping her time after time after time so that at the end she must be totally devastated that she's been thrown out five times. One or the other, she's left with a huge wound, a huge deadness because she can't afford to feel anymore. She's been hurt too many times. I cannot feel anymore. I just do it. Some kind of bondage and slavery that drives her now. She is locked 
and he's going to move in. He's going to move in by showing her, you are thirsty. You are so thirsty. Wake up. Wake up. You think it's all about men. You think it's all about romance. You think it's all about being embraced and held. You think it's all about having security. It's not about any of that. It's about me. It's about water and not sexually with me. Me, Messiah, Savior, Prophet, water. Your soul, your soul is made to drink deep, deep, deep satisfaction from Jesus. And if you're not, I know what you're doing. You're into a serial routine. Probably for most of you, it's not sex. Some of you it is, for sure. Just jumping from bed to bed. Think that's it. It goes so deep. It just in the moment, it's so, it's so water. It's so lie. And you know it the next morning. And you get harder and harder. We're learning about Jesus here. Compassion, aggressive, surgical, relentless love. Knows everything about us. Isn't it good to be known? Painful as I'll get out and good to be known by somebody. This kind of person anyway. He knows everything about you. Absolutely everything. Kinky stuff. He knows. Hidden stuff from your youth. He knows Financial stuff, he knows. Thoughts, he knows. Feelings, he knows. Midnight stuff, he knows. He knows you completely. And he's the most important person in the universe. Do you know yourself? You're meeting yourself in this woman. The thirsts. One of the evidences that we are not drinking Jesus, either because you're an unbeliever and you've never even tasted, or because you're a believer and something has begun to lure you to another fountain, starting to go there, or you've just blocked him out because you've got some hidden thing you want to keep doing or whatever. One of the evidences of not drinking deeply from Jesus is the instability of constantly moving from one thing to the next, seeking to fill the void. You may be going through sexual partners. You may be going through friends. You may be going through jobs. You may be going through churches, just one after the other. You may be going through hobbies, internet stuff, hobbies, games. You may be going through hairstyles. You may be going through wardrobes. You may be going through cars. You may be going through locations of where you live. Because there's no 
deeply contented identity in Christ. Deeply contented, deeply satisfied. That's what water means. Living water is your soul is a cavern of desire. And I offer myself to you, Jesus says, as water that lives. It becomes a well. It just satisfies day after day. You get up with hungers and longings and soul achings in the morning. Come to me and you'll find stability of contented identity. And then you don't move around so much. Jump in here, jump in there, jump in here, jump in there. Crave, 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 crave. Nothing's working. Oh, don't you love people who are so deep with Jesus, they know where it's at. The water. They live by the fountain. They never go anywhere. They just live there. They're not jumping from job to job and wife to wife and girlfriend to girlfriend and job to job and car to car and hairstyle to hairstyle. They are so there. And here's the interesting thing about that. That sounds static, doesn't it? Baloney. It isn't static. Believe me, it isn't static. I don't mean that the Christian life with that kind of centered, deep, satisfied identity by the fountain, satisfied day after day, freshly with new water coming up from this friendship and this relationship. I do not mean this is static. There is a difference between Confident movement of faith and craving movement of frustration. You got that? There is a difference between confident movement in faith and craving movement of frustration. Got to move because this is not working. Here, move, move, move. Or this is so working, I'm taking it. I got a plan. I'm making something in my life. I'm not wasting it. I am moving to China. I'm moving to Ukraine. I'm moving to Southeast Asia. I am on the way because I got my feet on a rock. And there's a fountain coming up out of this rock. And it goes with me everywhere. It's Jesus, not any geographical location. So don't, don't hear me say that the movement in life, you know, job to job and hairstyle to hairstyle and wife to wife and sex to sex and TV program to TV program, that the alternative is frozen. I got the fountain. You know that's not what I'm talking about. This fountain is really a moving fountain. It's like a waterfall. I've used that analogy before. Stay under it. It moves. <laughs> oh, Jesus is a mover. He's going to reach the nations. The fountain's on its way to the nations. You want to get drink deepest? Go with him to the nations or the neighborhood. This text is about us. Our cravings, our longings, our desperate questings to find something that satisfies. That was number three. Clue number four, last one. When Jesus takes the direction from water to go get your husband, does it surprise you, did me, that twice, it seems like he repeats it to get our attention, twice he tells her she's telling the truth. 
Verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, and he, he, I would have said, I know you've got a husband. You've had five. I'm, he, I'm just, I would go straight there. Just like, you've had five husbands. You're tricking me. Well, she is. But here's what he says. You are right. You speak well, saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, I find that strange, at least at first, that, that he, would, he would commend her at the beginning. You're speaking right. And you commend her at the end. What you've said is true. And in the middle is pure deceit. I have no husband. It's going to work this time. She's using truth to lie. You have spoken well in saying you have no husband. You've had five and you're right. You have no husband and the man you're living with is not your husband. You really know how to use the truth, lady. I think it's irony. I think it's irony. She's a liar. I really hope you get this. What is being exposed here is something that always goes hand in hand with secret sin. Namely, a devious, subtle manipulation of language to conceal truth by saying true things. A devious, subtle, sometimes very sophisticated use of language to conceal truth by saying true things. Devious people don't lie. It's too risky. They deceive with the truth. This is incredibly prevalent in our day. I just want to try to raise the level of your awareness in your life and in the atmosphere in which we live. This is incredibly prevalent in our day. Some people know they are doing it, and others are so conformed to the spirit of the age, they don't even know they are doing it. They don't even know there is such a thing as a use of language that has integrity. That's the age we live in. They don't even know that language can have integrity in its correspondence to reality that you help people get in touch with. That whole issue of integrity in the use of language, they don't even know it exists. They have been so acculturated by television and politics and spin of every imaginable kind. Language is a game by which we conceal what we don't want known and reveal what we want known even if it is false and we have been good at it. People that don't have a deep 
secure, satisfied rest of soul. Jesus is saying, slide towards subtle uses of language designed to cloud the truth with words, even true words. I have dealt with so many and I've heard it so often. They feel like their mission in life when asked a hard question is not to say, I don't know, or say something controversial, but to and you, when they're done, you say, what was that? What was that? That was, a, that was a carefully designed manipulation of language to say true things, to conceal the truth. In other words, Jesus is not only exposing the cavernous thirst that she's trying to satisfy with men. He's also exposing some of the subtle devices developed to hide the truth even from herself. She doesn't know she has a cavernous need for Jesus. She thinks it's all about men. And it isn't. There's a lot of liberty waiting for some of you women and men in this text. A lot of liberty. In fact, the slippery use of language here creates the transition to the next unit, the next part of the story. We're going to go there totally next time, but we need to just see the transition because it is part of what her issue is. So let's just look at the transition and then wrap it up. The woman says, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet since you just told me all about my five marriages and my present adulterous situation. I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you, plural, you Jews, say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Now that is weird. I mean, that's not skillful. An animal will chew off its own leg to free itself from a trap. And a human being will mangle her brain when she's trapped and wants to get out of this trap desperately. As long as we're talking about my adultery, where do you think we should worship? You ever been there? I've been there many times with people. You're trying to explain to them, Jesus died for you. He rose again triumphant over death and hell. He'll forgive you all your sins. It's by faith alone. It's a free gift. What about the gays? What about gay people? Can we just... What about those who've never heard? What about right-wing uh, theonomists who want to take over this country and put every non-Christian in jail? Talk to me about that. You ever been there? You, you, you're dealing with the most precious thing in the world. This 
going right to their heart. You want to talk about my adultery? Where do you think we should worship? This is, this is not skillful, but it, it worked temporarily for her. He never goes back. He's willing to go with her to worship. He embraces her topic, but not her issue. Learn from him here. (laughs) This is so good. What's her question? What's her question? It's another surface question. She can't do anything with her inner life. She's so dead. She says, where? (laughs) Like, that matters? Mountains? You're concerned about geography at this moment? Good night, lady. I'm not getting anywhere with you. Oh, yes, yes. This is not a goose. And he's not confused. So he's going to take her topic, but he's not taking her issue of ge- geographic location. He, he says, okay, you want to go to worship? Let's go to worship. The hour is coming. When neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will they worship. In fact, verse 23, the hour is coming and now is when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. There he is. He won't let it go. In spirit and in truth. You want to talk about worship? Let's go inside again. Let's go inside of you again. I want it in with water. I want it in with your serial adultery. And now I want in with worship. I'm going into you, lady, because that's where your issue is. Your issue is not Mount Gerizim or Mount Jerusalem. That's not the issue, lady. Come on. This time, would you go with me? Would you let your heart be opened? Would you let yourself feel? Would you let yourself be exposed? Would you let your shame be known? Would you let your hardness and your deadness be confessed? Would you weep with me? Because I'm after you. I want you. Summary. What Jesus has been doing mainly in this text on him as the prophet is with his penetrating words, which is what I hope happens in your small groups, as well as I hope in my preaching. With your penetrating words, you go to the cavernous thirst that people have. This woman is oblivious. But he's pointing out to her, I understand. I can explain why you go from man to man. I know how you're wired. I know how you're made. I know what's driving you, lady. I made you. I understand desire. I understand passion. I understand craving. I understand longing. I understand aching. I understand loneliness. Big time. And I am here for you. I am so, I am so for you. I am so right for you. I am so made for you. And every person in this room, every person in this room is made 
with a cavern for Christ. And we will just jump and jump and jump from one thing to the next until we learn to drink. And we can't drink at that level until our inner life is opened. And that's why it's so painful. She just couldn't take it. She was running this way and running that way and dodging, chewing off her leg or her brain to get out of this trap. And it's the only way forward. Recognition of our deadness, recognition of our hardness, recognition of our lack of any taste for living water is the beginning of hope. Painful as it is. So... I am praying earnestly for breakthroughs for you. Maybe my words are just the beginning of it. Maybe it's just it's part way in. And now you need to leave here and really deal with this. Because I've, I've opened, perhaps for a few of you, a cavern of sinful desire that has held you in slavery for decades. Don't let it be done. Don't run to the television tonight, today. Don't run to the game. Don't run anywhere but to Him. And say, finish it, Jesus. Finish it. Crack it open to the bottom. Let me know things about myself I don't even know. Let me taste the water of life at levels I've never drunk before. Oh, heal this broken, adulteress which is what James calls all of us. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for Christ. I thank you for living water that has begun to get to the bottom of my sinful heart. I thank you that you have taken hold of us believers and will not let us go. And I pray, Lord, that you would finish the work in the lives of everybody in these rooms. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.